Hi, this is Dan Sullivan. I'd like to welcome you to the Multiplier Mindset Podcast. Our Free Zone success story today is just one of my very favorite entrepreneurs in the Free Zone Frontier program, Paul Abel. And Paul, originally from South Africa until he was 12 years old and then moved to Israel. And like all Israelis, male and female, when you're 18 years old, you join the Israeli Defense Forces. And when Paul at 18 joined, there wasn't an active war going on. Israel is a different part of the world, and they've got dangerous things going on around their country. So they have a steady thing that they have to keep track of every day, but he joined. And as Paul said, the reason I became a medic, I had a choice of which activity I wanted to go into. And he said, I chose medic because that's where all the nurses were. And little did Paul know that within a very short period of time, they would be in a full-blown active war in Lebanon, northern border of Israel. And he ended up at very young age, and because all the IDF soldiers tend to be very young, battlefield triage, which means he was the person who, when there were a lot of wounded, he would be the person to say, this person gets treated first, this person gets treated next, and everything else. So life and death decision-making at 18 or 19 years old. When you meet Paul, you can begin to realize that he's a person who can really, really handle himself in tough situations. And then, you know, after he did his military duty, Paul moved. He already had family members in Southern California, so Paul moved and now lives in San Diego. It's very, very beautiful there right now, and I oftentimes talk to Paul when he's in his garden, and he always complains about how I'm interfering with his free days. But Paul, just to give you a shot, I'll give you a little background on what he's doing. He provides all the compliance information that a small business. Now, just think about that. Small business, we're not a giant corporation, so small businesses can be quite large businesses. So there's local government, there's state government, there's federal government, and there's all these rules and regulations, and you can end up being sued as a employer if you are not aware and you're not actually operating according to the letter of the law. And Paul gathers up all these regulations and is very, very clever how he's able to provide all this information virtually to the employers of 50 million people, 50 million people across the United States. So this is kind of his normal times job. And he's continuing onward because there's all sorts of new health regulations that are coming out during scary times. And he's keeping everybody up to date. And he's working it out so that this is not onerous for the employers. It's not an extra load. He's doing it in such ways that he's actually being a collaborator with them during this period of time. And this is a big project that When Paul comes to his free zone workshop, this is what he works on. This is what he compares notes with the other free zone entrepreneurs because it's all collaboration in free zone. There's no competition. But the big thing that Paul has really zeroed in during the scary times has to do with the kind of bad situation that was immediately discovered regarding masks, especially surgical masks, 
the top line masks that surgeons need and you know ER you know health professionals including nurses you know especially with the virus because they really haven't cracked the code on the virus they're not quite sure how it operates and everything and there was found that the United States was not really prepared for this there were supposed to be huge stockpiles and there weren't huge stockpiles and this will all be sorted out afterwards but Paul immediately took responsibility for certain institutions, a couple of hospitals, University of Southern California, their main hospital, New York University main hospital. And Paul has a brother who's a top pediatrician, and he's got great influence in the medical community. So Paul has been sourcing masks from all sorts of different sources that other people aren't tapping into. So he personally purchased 100,000 masks and got them out to the organizations that needed them yesterday. And he's working with other people to let's get the masks. Let's protect our frontline responders. You know, you can't have the doctors and the nurses. You cannot have them getting sick and dying because of the virus. We have to protect them. It's almost like, in, as Paul says, it's like when you go on the airliner and they tell you about the oxygen mask, first thing you do is you put your own mask on and then you help other people. Well, the first mask in the current situation is the health and safety of the doctors and nurses who are doing the frontline work. So really great stories from Paul. I mean, he's got a life in stand-up comedy if he decides to branch out after this, but it's such a joy to know him. It's such a joy to work with him in the Free Zone Frontier, and I was really happy to team up with him to do this interview. Well, uh, how are you, first of all, Dad? I'm great. I'm just taking orders from other people right now. I just switch into, you know, I've got some skills. I'm a simplifier, and I'm just going to be 100% simplifier. So anybody who's got multiplier projects, I'll just do what I do. So doing a lot of podcasts, doing a lot of creating new thinking tools for the current situation. My life's pretty simple, actually. I'm not feeling particularly hassled. You know, I get good sleep every night. I exercise every morning, and we eat properly. So You're conditioned for the circumstances. Yes, I am. Yeah. Well, you know, Chris Voss, the Yes. FBI guy, he said, nobody rises to the challenge. Everybody defaults to their previous level of preparation. 100% right. You know, it's so true, Dan. You know, it's amazing how true that is because, you know, I mean, different networks, I know a lot of people and there's a lot of people that are frightened and scared and don't know what to do or in shock. You know, I've seen shock before. I served in the, in the military in the Israeli Defense Force. And and I think a lot of people are in shock and don't know what to do because they just don't have the skills. And you've been an amazing coach to me. You know, you've provided me with skills, how to adapt in this environment where my family feels safe, my employees feel safe, my clients feel safe because of the work that I'm doing is in providing them ways to cope with this situation and to see opportunities. You know, I'll tell you that for this call today, you know, I studied your guide. Mm -hmm. Well, we have two parts to our meeting this morning, Paul. First of all, I'd like to talk about your project, 
yes. and how, you know, I can be useful to your project. And awesome. then afterwards, I'd just like to catch like a half hour of how you've upped your game during scary times. And, you know, you could reflect on the free zone strategies, but also basically it's just how you're helping other people during scary times. So it's not really you know, about what we're going to do together here. It's really about you because we want to send this out. You're one of our spotlight people. And I've got a list of people who are just doing unique things. The work you're doing with USC and with NYU and getting the masks using all of your networks. And then what you're doing for all of your customers and clients, especially the payroll companies and then all all the entrepreneurs who are connected to the payroll company networks that you have. So if we could just talk about your project and how I can be useful first. But Paul, one interesting topic in 2020 is that among entrepreneurs, there aren't a lot of entrepreneurs today who have military experience. You know, it's just a function and that's probably a good thing. I mean, in many ways, it's probably a good thing. But Military experience does add a dimension to your life. And I was drafted into the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War. And I spent two years in South Korea. And I just have to stick it to you here, Paul. I was smarter because I stayed away from the front lines. I stayed away from combat. And you, thinking that you were going to get by easy, ended up right in the thick of the fray. And I bet you have, just because of what your military specialty was, you have a real feel for the current importance of frontline medical personnel because that's what you were in the Israeli Defense Force. So can you just talk a little bit about what you noticed the similarity between being at the front lines in combat, helping injured colleagues and the other soldiers who were injured, and just what you're noticing, how that really prepared you for how you're thinking about the current situation caused by the worldwide virus? Sure. You mentioned on a prior call that we had When there's a crisis, people default to their previous highest level of preparation. Yeah, well, that's Chris Voss, you know. Chris Voss, right? Chris Voss, yeah, that's Chris's great line. Chris's deal. So, um, you know, that's exactly what happened is, so I'm uniquely equipped with being under a lot of pressure, having to make very quick decisions of who to treat and when to treat them. My specialty was training officers how to deal with mass triage. So if there's 20 people down, who do you go and treat first? By the way, you never treat the guy that's screaming, help, help, help. Okay, he's good. (laughs) He's fine. The one screaming the loudest, he's fine. Uh, You worry about the one that's not screaming. You have a skill set of really dissecting a lot of information and then making decisions what to do. And there is a parallel to this. The parallel as well is that I'm you know, served and as a frontliner, you know, when you're under fire, the parallel is, I think, and I know it is, our medical providers under fire. They're under fire and they're under attack and they're not armed, okay? So one of the things I was really blessed with is I had a flag jacket, I had bulletproof vest, I had a helmet, I had goggles, I had a weapon, and I had a lot of medical supplies. Our frontline is done. 
our front line is this is the United States of America, the best country in the world. I cannot tell you how much I am grateful to be living in this country. This is my home. And, you know, I believe that I am now serving and doing my part as a U.S. citizen in making available to these frontliners PPE equipment, that is personal protective equipment. I cannot imagine when I was in battle that I could go into battle without my provided for me protective equipment. And I am shocked at how bad it is out there in this great country, the best country in the world. And what I'm finding, Dan, is what you know, <laughs> we know is there's an establishment, right? And there's entrepreneurs. And the problem is the establishment has all the right intent. Amazing people, smart people. But the way they trained is bureaucracy. Get this form filled out and then go and get this department to sign off on it. And no, I can't do this because I'll get fired. Okay. Whereas the world that we play in there, we go through side doors, we go through back doors, we go through basements. When everybody's going through that front door, we're going through the back door. So that's another unique ability that we have as entrepreneurs. So I took my passion project is because I was a frontline. And I understand it. And it came very relevant when my brother is a fantastic physician in Orange County, California. He has multiple practices. You talk about an amazing physician, top of his game, and an entrepreneur. And very seldom do you find doctors that are amazing business people and amazing physicians at the same time. So he knew about this product that I developed. And this is two weeks ago. Everything I'm telling you right now did not exist two weeks ago. And a product that I developed, and you know I'm in the safety business, in the OSHA business, and I help the companies provide a safe environment for their employees. So I developed a kit. Now keep in mind, Dan, you know I grew up in Israel and I was you know, born in South Africa and I'm international community. I saw this movie a month ago, okay? Because my friends in Israel and also some of them in Italy, a month ago, we're dealing with this pandemic. So I knew it was coming. Yeah. I saw it. So what I did is I developed a kit, and there's multiple postings. If you look behind me, it was basically an awareness kit, how to provide a safe environment for your employees during a, a pandemic. And again, going into creating something unique. You know, if I look at your guide, a solution that is current, forget everything that you did in the past, create something that's relevant today. And what happened is I built these postings based upon CDC guidelines, but then I also bought 100,000 masks, okay, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And the intent was to provide an office or workplace, visual aids, in addition to first aid supplies. So if there's somebody that's not feeling well, there would be a, a disposable thermometer in the kit, which I still have. By the way, I have 100,000 of those right now if you need any. <laughs> and basically tell that person to please take your temperature. Oops, I have a fever. Please put on this mask and go to the doctor. Little did I know that I had to change everything. It's not get your workplace ready. All of a sudden, we're in the game. Okay, California shut down. New York shut down. 
Now, once again, I've seen this movie. So in Europe, and I saw it in Israel. So my brother, who has these practices, calls me up because he knew about what I'm doing. And he said to me, hey, I don't have masks. My doctors don't have masks. So of course, I said to him, not a problem. My son recently graduated and he's at home here. Put him in the car and took a box of masks to my brother. So what turned out to be what was going to be a profit center, bloody good idea, he got it, but it turned out to be, oh my God, these frontliners don't have masks. Now, my brother's affiliated with Children's LA, and I get a call from the CEO of Children's LA. And he says to me, I need masks. So, of course, I'm going to donate masks, and we donated masks. All of a sudden, this goes into the network, and I get calls from Cedar Sinai, from NYU, and all these establishments. Now, I am not making one penny on these masks, as a matter of fact. To date, I think we've donated. 90,000 of those masks that we purchased and, you know, made it available. Paul, I just want to make a little point here because you and I have both lived long enough to know that if something exists, there's a reason why it exists. And we're showing the contrast here between bureaucracy and entrepreneurism, okay? And I just want to say the purpose of bureaucracy is so that in normal times, things are normal. And the purpose of entrepreneurs is that in extraordinary times, things are extraordinary. Yeah, and I've got to add to that, Dad. That's where the entrepreneurs are the ones that can save us today. If we're going to depend on the bureaucracies, now I have a question for you. If there's a shortage of masks to our first liners, to those doctors that are saving us, how's the money going to get distributed to all these people? Mm-hmm. How's that going to happen, right? So for those entrepreneurs listening to this, get creative. There's a problem in bureaucracies. So your point is 100% right. But because of my training, not only in the military, but because I'm equipped, being trained by you, by really understanding the systems and tools that you provided us, I'm able to execute on a level that's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And then I I get a phone call from the head of Kaiser Permanente's head purchasing guy. Oh, uh, yeah, you have masks. I'm on FEMA. I never knew about masks until I bought 100,000. But then that's when you have to kick in. That's when leadership kicks in, right? So what I did then is I go, okay, obviously there's a need for masks. And through my international network, I found out everybody was going to China to get masks. But, you know, down south in Mexico and South America, there's lots of masks So everybody was going through the front door, and I happened to go and find, and this is through the safety business, not the medical. You know, the guy that puts drywall up in your house has to wear a mask. Okay, it's called an N95 mask. So I went into all the safety suppliers in South America and procured product, and then basically made it available for the medical establishment. Mm -hmm. But what's happened out of this, Dan? I am now preferred vendor, my company, with all these medical institutions, mm-hmm. okay? Now, when this blows over and please God, everybody's safe and life gets to normal, I have channels of distribution that I never had a week ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be able to go and offer mm-hmm. these institutions solutions to help them run their business. Yeah. You're in the Free Zone Frontier program. You are uh, started in the 10 Times program and then you 
actually do both. You do both 10 times and you do the free zone frontier. But everybody, when they hear about the free zone, they said, well, what is the free zone that this particular entrepreneur is creating? And I'd like to have you give a little background, you know, a quick study of starting in South Africa, then being in Israel, and then moving to Southern California, but doing something different when you got to Southern California, and then you made a transition from that really into your, you know, the area that you really love being in and have created that from scratch, and now you're accelerating it by a thousand times. I mean, just in the course that I've known you, which is, you know, it's not 20 years or 30 years like I have with some clients, but you've covered about 30 years of progress in about three years. So can you just fill in everybody, kind of what the history was of Paul Abel that brought him to the point where now he's being a real hero to frontline medical personnel in the United States during this crisis. Thanks, Dan. I was born in South Africa, great years in South Africa, and my dad was an entrepreneur. He was in the clothing business, and he had a, yeah, by the way, we Jewish South Africans, okay, which is a minority of minority. So he was in the clothing business and used to provide overalls to the mines. And the diamond mines, no pockets, okay? So for the diamond mines, we don't want any pockets on those overalls. I always grew up and it was Levy jeans and Levy overalls, which is I found out when I came to the States and elsewhere it's Levi's, okay? So it's just a different dialect. So I grew up in this environment, even at that young age, and this is something as well as an entrepreneur, when everybody was out there playing, you know, soccer, I was in the stores and I was always helping to sell and I was helping to merchandise. But South Africa got really dangerous. You know, obviously in the late 70s, my dad's sister was murdered in her house. And that's when my dad sat down with my family at our table, at the dinner table. And, you know, it's not uncommon in South Africa to have a lot of domestic help in the house. If you look at any of the movies of Africa, it's just part of the life there. So we sat down with the domestic help in the house. They've been with us for years. Okay, these are people that, you know, all my life, I mean, knew that. My dad asked the question, he said, if there's a revolution or if there's an uprising, are you going to murder us like my sister was murdered by the domestic help that helped her? Our nanny said, absolutely, she would not do it, but her brother would. (laughs) So so we were out of there, right? So what happened is that I have an older brother and sister that came to the United States. I was 12 years old and I have a brother two years older than me, went to Israel. So my dad's passion was always to go to Israel. So that's where I moved to Israel at the age of 12. You know, basically amazing teenage years in Israel. And you learn street skills in Israel. It's a little different. It's survival of the fittest. It's a bad neighborhood around Israel. And you're always aware of, you know, there's an enemy. And, and it's just part of your DNA. You're, you're always awake. You're always awake. You're walking down the street and you see a backpack. You don't say, oh, my God, somebody lost their backpack. You know, should it could be a bomb, right? So you just, you're always awake. So that's a skill, again, that I'm going to refer to that's built into my DNA that made me uniquely equipped for this new venture I'm in. And then after, I wasn't a good student then. I'll promise you that. I have ADD, I have dyslexia, I have ADHD. And I gained it because I always claimed that I didn't know, you know how to speak Hebrew properly. Then I said, I was always playing games. I don't know if I graduated high school. 
50%, I graduated high school, don't you remember? But went straight into the military. You know, it's a mandatory service in Israel. It's mandatory where men serve three years and women serve two years, which I think is a wonderful thing. And I believe that any country that has that available, I think it builds character. Um, there is no social levels in the military. You are who you are. Okay, it doesn't matter what background you come from. And if you don't have good character, you're going to find out the hard way. So by serving in the military, you know, I, my intent was I have a, my best friend. He wanted to be a warrior and a fighter. And it wasn't my initial intent. My initial intent was to get back to the U.S. My family was at that stage in the Burger King business. And I just loved coming to San Diego and beautiful woman here. And I was a teenager. and. And I'm going, what do I want to go to Lebanon? What do I want to go do and fight? Cut a long story short, I found out that there's this thing called a medic. And the key to the medic is obviously the intent is to save people and to do the right thing. But then I'll be honest, I also heard that medics have nurses and they have roofs over their house and it's hot food. So it was a perfect fit for me as a simplifier, as you know me, to basically make this work as well. Well, little did I know that there was going to be a Lebanon war. Little did I know that there was going to be some bad times. So being in that environment, I really developed certain skills of survival skills that you don't typically acquire in day-to-day life. And you see things that you don't want to see for the rest of your life. It just gives you, you know, this highest level of preparation, right? It's just this highest level of preparation. So when I got discharged from the military, I immediately got onto a plane and arrived in San Diego, California, which is now my home that I've been here for 30 years. And I worked in my family's business, which is Burger Kings. And this is another interesting thing, right? So here I am, you know me as a quick start, as an entrepreneur. But the reason for my success, Dad, I believe is I take the military structure, okay, this structure, And then you go into Burger King, which is a franchise, and it has manuals. You can only put four pickles on that Whopper, Dan, not five, okay? You can have that Whopper anywhere in the world, four pickles. Well, because I don't have this innate understanding of structure and process, by having the understanding and knowing it and respecting it really has augmented my unique abilities of creating, but understanding the importance of structure. So it was terrible. I mean, imagine me in a franchise. I can't change anything. I'm not allowed to innovate. I can't simplify. Why don't we put three pickles on? Why do we have to do four? And it was horrible. But then I went into, my brother was in the fitness equipment business. And that was about 40 pounds ago that I was in that. And I learned how to sell. This is the first time I learned how to sell. By the way, at this stage, I had never done a Strength Finders. I'd never done a Colby. I had no idea what unique ability was. And I was inserted into a family business that was all about structure, all about franchising, and you just do it this way. You always do it this way. And it was terrible. It was terrible. To the extent where I was blessed in 2006, we put together with the family and bought the franchise for what's called Brugger's Bagels. It's a bagel franchise. And I was the sweat equity partner. So I was the sweat equity partner, just got married. 
you know, I enjoyed that because it was creative and, you know, building, finding real estate and developing these brands. And by the way, this was, we're now looking back that I know from your training what a simplifier is, what a Colby is. Looking back, all the other franchisees in the country there, they would hire these highly paid real estate people to find locations. Well, Dan, I had 600 people working for me. You know who they were? Starbucks. You see, Starbucks employs 600 real estate people. And I just sat down one day, I'm going, the same person that goes to Starbucks is going to want a bagel, right? Mm -hmm. So I basically simplified and put my bagels on. Very successful. Well, in Chicago, you know, we have a second home in Chicago. And the town we live in has a Starbucks and right next to it is a bagel. So that was probably one of yours. (laughs) That was the concept. So basically, I very fast found locations, right? And I collaborated. Talk about collaboration. Talk about who, not how. All the tools that I now know what they are, instinctively, I was doing. So we built this business up, great business, and then all of a sudden, Dad, I don't know if you know about this Atkins diet. Do you remember the Atkins Mm -hmm. diet? Mm -hmm. Prior to the Atkins diet, there was the best diet in the world. Mm -hmm. The high-carb diet. Oh, my (laughs) God. I was made for the high-carb diet. Eat pasta, eat bagels. Then Atkins comes out. And what was the Atkins diet? Do you remember? Uh, Atkins is protein and fat. Protein and absolutely no carbs. Absolutely no carbs. And basically, so our sales plummeted. In addition, you know, all my locations in San Diego were tourist locations on the beaches. And then 9-11 happened. And, you know, that was a perfect combination of the first scary time that I've been in in my life that wasn't military. So I experienced a scary time when we had a, you know, thriving business that overnight just basically dissipated. One of the things about family businesses, it's amazing when everybody's making money, but it is not good. It is not a happy place to be when it starts bleeding. You know, it's just something to reconsider if you decided to go into business with a family member, think twice, okay? Just be family first, it becomes difficult. I got sick. I got really sick, I was having strokes. You know, I went to the Mayo Clinic, And it all turns out is I was so not in my unique ability there that my body shut down. And I think that happens as well is that if you're not, you know, content with what you're doing, if you're not in your right place, you know, I think you get sick. So I sat down with my wife and, you know, I'm so blessed to, you know, be married to this wonderful person for 25 years this year. This was in 2006. I resigned my role as the managing member of the LLC that owned all these bagel stores, caused a lot of family friction. Basically, I was going to go back in the restaurant business. And I had an unbelievable location. I had this concept where it was like a delivery of chicken. And I sat down with my wife one day, I'm going, do I really want to be in this thing that I hate? I mean, I got sick. And I said, but honey, the banks will give me money for this. I've got money for this. I've got leases. And I had this concept and this idea of the pain that I experienced running this bagel business was employee-related. It was all employee-related. And I just found myself dealing with employee-related issues and then always being in front of a 
labor board or some contentious environment because we always violated something or accused of violating some law. So what I did is basically, I took it upon myself to create a business and the first part of the business is to inform employers of what they need to do and how to do it. And this is the crazy part. My first 10 projects for products was a filing cabinet of lawsuits and fines. So I took all the lawsuits and all the fines and I looked at them and I started asking around and others were also getting sued and fined for these same things. So I created products, I hired attorneys, I'm not a lawyer, hired attorneys, who's, right, all the who's, and I put together these fabulous do-it-yourself, easy-to-use solutions to help employers provide a safe environment for their employees and at the same time avoid fines and lawsuits. Well, that was great, but the question is now you can have the best product in the world. How do you distribute it? How do you distribute it? So basically, obviously through friends and family, we started distributing the product. And then something to mention, Dan, is previously I was in the bagel business. I got bagels into Costco, which, by the way, there's another sign, Dan. I didn't know until the age of 45 that I was an entrepreneur, okay? Meaning a true entrepreneur until the age of 45, okay? So this is what I did is I basically got the bagels into Costco to do roadshows before roadshows were in Costco. And my partners, my partners nearly sued me as a member of this entity for violating our partnership agreement. We were doing something like $100,000 a month selling bagels in cut, but it was not what you should do. <laughs> it's not in the manual, right? <laughs> so these are all the signs that were out there. Cut a long story short, I decided to partner with associations and chambers of commerce. And I thought, okay, they have members. Once again, through your training, I know I'm a simplifier now. And I realized, now I'm looking back, I was looking for multipliers. So I partnered with associations and chambers of commerces that had members. And I made available to these entities very low price solutions to offer to their clients. And that's how I got my first products out there and helped those clients. And this was mostly paper. I mean, this was a paper. paper. This is all physical paper. These are posters on the bulletin board, like the ones you have right behind you including first aid kits, okay, mm-hmm. and all sorts of hard goods that basically businesses need, eyewash stations, anything that OSHA required, which is the government entity that enforces safety in the workplace. So I would study the OSHA manual, I would see the fine, and I would then create the product. So anytime anybody ever got a fine, I said, give me the fine, I'm going to create a product. So any fine that I got, I created a product and I'd show the fine and I'd show the solution and it made it easy, right? Well, everything was great. You know, we also had a website. You know, we were the number one search guy on Google. And then in 2011, (laughs) this is another lesson. We had one of the highest ranking websites out there. Google changed its algorithm. And overnight, we were banned, okay, from where we were the best. And again, everything was hiring consultants. We were banned. So here it is. I had no revenue coming in from these websites. We're, again, another scary time, another scary time. So 
we sat down and we said, okay, what else can we do? And at that stage, I was noticing that there were these SaaS-based software programs out there, CRM-type products that are today very populated. I even noticed that Microsoft, you know, we used to buy these $400 boxes at Office Depot and go load them on the computers. And Microsoft started selling these subscriptions for $9 a user, $10 a user, etc. So I looked at my solution and we're in the label or poster business, which is basically we assemble all the mandatory notices that employers by law have to inform the employees or they'll get some sort of a lawsuit or fine. And those are state postings, federal postings, today the county and city as well. And we basically used to sell that product for about $50 to $100 a year. Okay, it was an annual deal. Well, the Obama administration came in. And <laughs> that's when my business just blew up. You have no idea how many laws came into play, okay? And then the states, the states took it upon themselves, California and New York, to, <laughs> to introduce way more laws than ever before. So it really became a pain. It was a major pain for employers to keep up with this ever-changing climate of these laws that are, you know, basically the states and cities are coming up with. So I took this idea and I said, okay, how do I make this poster now a very small monthly fee? And again, I'm the simplifier, right? That's the simplifier. How am I going to take this $100 fee and I take what the CRM companies are doing and Microsoft is doing? And how do I charge $3 to $5 a month? So that's another thing I want to tell you why I wanted to do it so low price. If you look at me right now, you can see that I'm carrying a little bit of weight, okay? I still pay $5 a month to Family Fitness, which is now 24-hour fitness, that I signed up 20 years ago. <laughs> 20 years ago, but it's $5 a month, okay? Why am I going to cancel it? I may use it for five bucks a month. So I knew if I price this $3, $4, $2, then potentially this could be a giveaway. And that's when we integrated with benefit brokers, payroll companies, CPAs. Yeah, and so you're looking now for the multiplier collaborators. 100%. Yeah, and I mean, you've been doing this all along, but now you've really got the digital world at your, everybody who communicates digitally is now a highway for you. Oh, absolutely. As you know, I presented six months ago, eight months ago, I had the vision that more and more employees would work remotely because technology, Mm -hmm. only because technology. And I created this platform, you know that, the e-poster service. I've trademarked it. I'm patenting it. It's called the e-poster service. It's the electronic distribution of these same notices to remote employees. So employers are still obligated to inform those employees in the workplace that are not coming into the office the same laws. It's the only time the Department of Labor actually allows the electronic distribution of these notices. Well, I built a platform for a very large PEO. And I have 100,000 users now, you know, that are on this platform. And, you know, it's the magic word, <laughs> <laughs> per employee, per month. Oh, it's, 
It's a wonderful name. God bless America. God bless America. And that's why I'm talking about my passion project. God yeah. bless America. Okay. So we have 100,000 users. All of a sudden, the United States overnight has a remote workforce. I have a platform. I have a platform. And my platform is designed on the Amazon cloud that we can expand it. And then what I've done, so with my payroll clients and my benefit brokers, I'm making the platform free to all their clients. What we're doing is that we have building and we're expanding right now the platform, our engineers, to accommodate 20 million employees in the next 30 days. Why? Because the government, as of yesterday, started releasing mandatory notices. However, those mandatory notices are 30 days, 60 days, and 90 day lifespans. Nobody knows what the future is. We have a platform to disseminate all this information, made it available for free. Then at the end of this, I think I'll have 30 million people on this platform in the next six months for free. When everything happens, slows down and people go back to work, which is the most important thing, people have to get back to work. Employers have to be sound financially. Hopefully, we'll have 10% stick on the platform. I'll have 2 million users paying me a small monthly fee every month, and good things will happen. So I'm looking at the future. Again, looking at your training. The scary times. Scary <laughs> times. And I've, by the way, I've applied it, Dan, step by step. You know me well enough. Okay, I take your information. I get inspired, and you help me. But I paint by numbers. What you give me are paint by numbers. And it's amazing the results that come out of that. So with that said, I have a very healthy business right now. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. By giving away free stuff, Dan. Yes. Collaborations. Yeah. That's the free zone. Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful story. And the whole point is that you're creating short and you're planning long with this model. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these collaborations, they'll remember you for the rest of their careers, these companies and what you did to actually empower them, enable them to be a positive force in the life of their employees during probably the most difficult time that individuals have ever experienced during their lifetime. You know, I was on a call before and I said, I was born two weeks before the invasion of Normandy. I said, I was born in scary times. It left a mark about who I got to know as adults when I was a child, when I was a teenager. But we've gone about 75 years. I mean, you were in South Africa, which was became a scary zone. You were in Israel, which by definition is a scary zone. But the whole point, there's a lot of people who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s and they've grown up in a realm of safety and security and comfort, and this is a real shock to them. There's got to be people who are calm, people who are confident, people who are capable to serve as role models right now, and I would say that 95% of them come from the entrepreneurial world. No doubt. And I can tell you, with my, so going to my passion project, 
you know, back into, I want to put a million masks on doctors' faces in the next 30 days. I personally, my family, we're $100,000 into it. And we've, we've put over 100,000 masks on doctors' faces in the last seven days. And how I've done that is I had this inventory that I was going to obviously provide to businesses. But how I've done that is another collaboration. So, Dan, what you just mentioned is this entrepreneurial background. I know how to source it. Okay, I know how to source it. Everybody's looking in the wrong places. I know there's existing inventory sitting on shelves, and everybody's just not looking in the right places. So I have this unique ability of doing that. But how I'm doing it, Dan, is, again, something that's interesting. Instead of my company being the euro, okay, I'm making my clients the euro. So what I'm doing is, you see, my clients are in every single state. I have a thousand distributors on my products. I have a thousand between that includes payroll companies, PEOs, benefit brokers that are in these states. They are physically there. And I have access to these products. I'm suggesting everybody put GoFundMe accounts together with their local communities because I have the sources. And the whole point is for my clients to be the heroes by me providing them the playbook and the product. You see, they haven't got this training that you and I have in how to be so agile in this environment. So you have no idea how grateful they are that I'm arming them in this unbelievable scary time where their companies and the employees feel so great. Their salespeople are having a tough time selling now in this environment. Guess what they're doing? They're going to their prospects and only healthcare frontliners that I will not make this product available. <laughs> if I see this on eBay and Amazon, I got friends that will come hunt you down. <laughs> They'll hunt you down. Okay. This is 100% frontliners. But you see these payroll companies and benefit brokers work with home healthcare companies. That's their clients. They know who the frontline is. So what I'm doing is I'm providing it to them. They are heroes in their community. And it's getting out to the right people that no government can do this. Yes. And it's instantaneous. It's a very agile group. You know, their preparation is to be agile anyway. Their preparation is to be connected with everyone important in their community. So this is a marvelous story. But what we're going to do, Paul, we're going to edit this a little bit. We'll put in title slides, you know, where you've made some really important point, and we'll put that up. And then I'll probably be interviewed just to do some commentary on what you're doing, you know, because we're going to send this out to all the coach clients. We're going to send it out to our complete coach community, which includes active clients and those who are not active right now, but they want us to stay in touch with them. We're doing just zoners now, so every person that I'm interviewing, and one, I'm going to introduce the two of you, but I'm interviewing him tomorrow morning, and it's Stephen Palter, and he's an IVF doctor, just joined FreeZone, 12 years in the program, and he's created this amazing communication platform, digital communication platform, which is called Lodestone. Last Thursday night, last Friday night, Thursday night, he had 2,000 OBGYN 
frontline physicians around the world. He had the number one key OBGYN physician in Wuhan in China, the number one and number two in northern and southern Italy, the ICU director from Long Island, where it's really ground zero right now. And what he does is he's got a platform that, first of all, notifies people that there's going to be a conference, digital conference. It surveys everybody about what the most important things are to talk about. It collates the surveys, establishes the agenda, and then he brings on the speakers who apply to the agenda that the audience has already determined they want to hear insights on. And then there's a chat room, and he's the moderator. Then afterwards, an AI program does data analysis. He does surveys during the conference. He's got a really great IVF clinic in Long Island, right on the North Shore. And Babs and I started working with him both on his clinic and also on this platform. And eight years ago, we started working with him. I said, I hope you enjoy your clinic, but in the future, you're going to think of it as a hobby because this platform of yours is going to be the big thing. I got him to go to Car Farrell, which is the number one IP firm in Silicon Valley for either startup companies or startup innovations. And I said, you're going to get total 100% control of this. Because, you know, the medical business and the hospitals and the universities and the societies are very murky bureaucratic swamps. And I said, when they say that it's theirs, you're going to present them with the patent. So on Thursday, when he did his first survey, now he's done this over the years. I mean, he's had 20,000 people use this platform, but it wasn't a big deal. And all of a sudden, nobody can communicate with all these doctors. There's no other vehicle. He did OBGYNs on Thursday, and then he did in vitro fertilization doctors. And there's a lot of controversies about why they're being closed down, you know, because they may not think that it's crucial, but the women who are pregnant really do think it's crucial or not getting pregnant. They do think it's crucial. Anyway, 15 minutes before his first survey, the White House asked if they could have a speaker on. The previous administration, do you remember the person who was president but wasn't president for eight years? He wouldn't allow any contact between any government official and this platform because they couldn't control the discussion. It's a free-form discussion. What people say is what they're going to say. Now he's considered the go-to source of information for the White House on how frontline doctors are responding to the crisis. And over the next month, he's going to do a special with every medical specialty that's involved with dealing with, and it's not just Americans, it's worldwide. Interesting, Dad. Something to think about. My brother, you know, he's got the largest pediatric practice in the United States. There's 100,000 patients. He employs 60 doctors, and he's still independent and didn't sell out, you know, to a hospital. uh, We're doing Stephen tomorrow morning, so we're doing with him tomorrow morning what I'm doing with you, Paul, right now. He just signed up for Free Zone. I said, you know, there's got to be a little bit of give here, you know what I mean? I mean, I think you're wonderful, I think you're a hero, but you're not quite real yet. (laughs) You know, you haven't taken on a fully formed human shape yet, you know, and anyway, so he's in. And then we're just going through the freeze. And the freeze owners are just, you know, first of all, they're calm. They're 
confident, they're capable, they're just defaulting to their previous highest level of preparation. Anyway, so we'll be back to you when we get this all packaged. And then any time you want me to join you on a panel or anything else, just let Eleanor know and you have me at hello. So a couple of things on that. So what I'd want to do is on my passion project, okay? You know, it's really a crisis, Dan, that oh, these boxes don't have it. I have access to inventory. I'm 100000 into it on my own money. I need a, a legal, no good deed goes unpunished. You know that, and I know this. So I need how on how to set up funding to go directly to the sources that I procured. I want no money in this. There's no profit, but I have the ability to save a lot of people today mm-hmm. by making this happen. So I want to make sure that there's a legal structure, yeah. that nobody gets burned, and I want to be able to open this up where there's a GoFundMe to coach, yeah. and then we basically go and just get these freaking masks out to doctors tomorrow. Yeah, I think that would be a wonderful thing for coach to do as well. And if you can help me, I may need Richard Branson's plane to go freaking pick up shit for me in China. I'm going to need help with money, and I need help to make sure that there's a legal structure to make sure that next year, anybody looking back at this will never accuse me or anybody else of profiting. There's always bad people out there that are going to say that. And again, wisdom plays out like that. That's yeah. where you can help me. Yeah. One thing right off the bat, and we're doing it with Stephen Palter, is that there's a category where you're called a sponsor, okay? It's not an investor. It's not a donor. It's a sponsor, okay? And their payment is that they get named as being a sponsor during this period of time. For example, with Stephen, what you could have, let's say you give a million masks and it comes from thing, they are a sponsor who's giving these million masks, you know. So we're experimenting with that. We're a sponsor for two of his events, and we just wrote him a check, you know. I mean, personally, and how it comes out, I don't really, really care. You know, I mean, the definition of schmuck is really being redefined during these days, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm a hundred thousand on my own money. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we're a hundred with Stephen on this. Yeah. And I said, I don't know, you know, what the. It's all know, good. When, it's good. Yes, yeah, you know, when people talk about, well, how do you monetize? Like, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that way. They, no, they, you don't think that way right now. And it's bad for you to think that way. I mean, it'll just. The last is the eighth step. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm going to call. He won't be the who who will have the answer, but he'll be the who knows the who. And I'm going to call John Farrell. And it may take a day or two. And he's the IP lawyer. He did all the Facebook legals for Mark Zuckerberg when he was 19 years old. Gotcha. I would love that. And as a matter of fact, I want to patent my poster platform. Well, he'd be the guy who did it because he did the patents for Stephen's platform. That would mean a lot to me. It really would be. That'd be awesome. So I'd appreciate that. You know, the other thing is, you know, Joe Polish has all these connections as well. Yeah. You know, maybe there's something you can share with Joe. But I have the mass, I have the distribution, and I can get this in hand. You know who you should chat with if he's at home in San Diego is Matt Lair. He spends a lot of time in Israel. 
Anyway, but, I haven't talked to him for a while. Would love the connection. And again, I really believe if we don't get massive. By the way, I'm talking about the frontliners. I know. Do you know how many older people are going to die now because they don't have masks? Yeah. And I have access. I built this distribution network. Yeah, and I'll talk to Stephen Palter because Stephen is just one of the most connected physicians in Virtual. the world right now. And I'll just ask him, you know, the two of you really have to have a chat. You know, everybody thinks I have all this confidence. I'm shit scared all the time. Yep, yep. Well, uh, I mean, I portray this. I'm freaking yep. scared. Okay? I don't know what I'm doing 50% of the time, but it's working. Not so. showing it as a skill. That's the skill. So the other ask is this is, and because of timing, I don't know who, but it's like a, a Richard Branch, somebody who has cash and somebody who can come in and just help me get this out there. It needs somebody big like that. Yeah. I think we'll put a call to Jay because Jay got a big check. And the other person I'll put you in touch is Lee Richter, who's in... Uh, uh, of course I know Lee, yeah. Yeah. Have you talked to her about this? No. She's in a perfect position right now because she's helping out Stephen. She was on the Free Zone Zoom call on Friday, and she is a phenomenal connector. She knows where money is. She knows where I think a conversation with Lee would be. I love Lee. I mean, especially the part where he's sourcing the masks from all over the world and he has connections all over the world that only Americans whose names are seven syllables with a lot of vowels really know a lot about. You know who survives in this new world? Only the people that are skilled in survival skills. Yeah. My children are very fortunate to have me as their papa. Yep. They're soft. Well, you know, if you can guarantee a soft world, it's okay. But I think all the guarantees are running out right now. So, you know, Dan, on another uh, just subject, just real quick on this safety. Okay. Something I want to just talk to you about. I don't believe the federal government's going to get money out fast enough to those that need it the most. Okay. And those are minimum wage employees that got laid off. And I have experience in safety from South Africa, right? I mean, I know what that looks like in Israel. I really am worried about safety and about what desperate people do in desperate times. And it's just something for you to consider as well to think about. Potentially, what happens if the government is, how they're going to get the money into those that need it if those that need it don't have bank accounts? Those that need it go to pay their loan places and cash out. So what happens when people are desperate? What happens when the baby's crying and the mother says, go get food? I've seen that movie. It's not a good yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. just something to think about. Yeah. He's got this changes and we don't have to get- Well, I tell you something. Both of us have to connect with multipliers, Paul. I mean, I'm a simplifier, 100% simplifier, just like you. So we can put together great ideas and simple ideas, but we have to connect with the multipliers. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the masks, we got to protect the people who are protecting everyone else. And it's now. It's not in six months. It's now. Yeah. Help me out. Thanks, guys. You guys are heroes. Thanks, Paul. Bye.